Good morning. Of course, uh, Pastor Mitch and Tara are out of town this weekend, and so Pastor Mitch asked me to preach, and I'm delighted to do so. Uh, and if the Lord would be so gracious to use me this morning, I'm going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. So if you have a Bible, please open it there to John chapter 6. And when Pastor Mitch asked me what my text would be this week so we could put it in the, in the bulletin there, I said, I haven't got it narrowed down to exactly the passages I'm going to read, so just put John chapter 6, right? So <laughs> thankfully by this morning I've got it narrowed down. Reason is I'm going to cover a lot in John chapter 6. Uh, if you're familiar with the chapter, it starts with the feeding of the 5,000, and it goes all the way through to where Jesus is, end up, he tells his disciples to eat his own flesh. And so there's a lot to cover there. But this morning, I'm going to focus, uh, reading-wise anyway, I'm going to cover a good part of it, but reading-wise, I'm going to read verses 47 through 71. Verses 47 through 71. So here, if you would, read along in your Bibles as I read aloud. John chapter 6, verses 47 through 71. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at these things? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was 
who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time together as a body, as the body of Christ. Thank you for your word where you reveal your truth to us. Thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, I ask that you use me this morning to speak your truth to your people. May we get a deeper sense of you and your character and who you are and what you came to do for us. We trust in you for that this morning. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. So, the title of my sermon this morning is Offended by Jesus. Offended by Jesus. And as I told a couple people the title of the sermon prior, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of excitement about that title. I want to say this beforehand, we see in this that Jesus offends folks. He even says it here in verse 61, he asked them, do you take offense at this, at what I said? Did I offend you? But I want you to know that's not the, that's not the main point of this passage. That is the title of my sermon, it's not the main point of this passage. I remember in seminary, it was uh, one of my preaching classes that I was in. I think it might have been the first preaching class I was in. And our professor had given us an assignment, you know, you could pick out your own text and then come back and give a, give a sermon on that, a little short sermon. And it was quite intimidating. You're giving a sermon in front of your own peers and your professor's sitting right there and then they're going to critique it afterwards. And so got up there, gave the sermon, sat back down, and that's what we would do. Then, he, then the professor would talk to us about that. And he said, so, Sonny, he said, how do you think that went? And I said, uh, I think it went okay. I think, you know, I think it went fine. He said, actually, it was, he was, it was good, real good, except you missed the main point of the passage. And I said, oh, <laughs> ouch. And so I don't want to do that here. He said, matter of fact, it's perfectly fine to preach a sub-point of a passage, but if you do, make sure you at least acknowledge the main point of the passage. And so the main point of the passage is actually going to be my first point this morning, which is that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Now, I want to give you some context as we came into this passage that I just read. The beginning of chapter 6, that's where we have the feeding of the 5,000, okay? It's getting near Passover, and Jesus is, is coming up to uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. He has about 5,000 people, followers, that are coming up there with him, and he is going, he's preaching to them. He's delivering the word to them. 
and then it's getting late, and it's too late for them necessarily to, to travel back home or to go find something to eat, and so they're going to need to be fed. And he starts by asking Philip a question that tests him and says, how do you think we ought to feed all these people? What are we going to do? And Philip's like, it'll take over 200 denarii to feed all these folks. That's approximately 200 uh, days' worth of wages. And then Andrew comes up and said, hey, there's this, there's this young boy who has some fish, fish and, and some loaves, but, but what is this for so many people? And Jesus tells him to bring it here. He takes the fish and the loaves, and then he prays to God and gives God thanks for what he's provided. And, of course, you know the story. They start handing out the fish and the loaves. And not only does it never run out, but John tells us that they, they could take as much as they wanted and then afterwards, Jesus says, now go gather up what's left. And they got 12 basketfuls of bread afterwards. And so seeing this, the people connecting Jesus to this miracle are thinking, he, here he is. Let's make him king. He's the one who's going to overthrow the Roman rule. And Jesus, recognizing that they were about to take him by force to make him king, left and went into the wilderness. Afterwards, the people, I guess, had settled down, and the apostles then, they got into a boat as it was night, and they take off across the Sea of Galilee. The storm, we all know the story, the storm comes up, it gets choppy, and then there they see walking toward them this, this figure. Jesus walking on the water. They invite him into the boat. As soon as he gets in the boat, we we're told in other Gospels, the, the storm calms down. In John's Gospel, it's kind of amazing. It says, and immediately they were at the other side. I think about that sometimes. There's two places in Scripture where that happens, this like warp <laughs> speed. One is with Philip in, in the book of Acts, and the other one is here. As they get to the other side, now they're in Capernaum. Now this is Jesus's, this is where, just where Jesus' home is. He lives in Capernaum. And so the people, they, they, they come out, they're, they're looking for Christ wherever he was, feeding them the bread uh, on the other side of, of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee. They realize he's not there. They realize the disciples aren't there. And they're thinking, well, where did Jesus go? They take off in boats and go across the sea to Capernaum. And Jesus now is preaching and teaching in the synagogue. And they show up. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if I preached a sermon on one side of the lake, and then I walked across that lake, and then everybody who I preached to found a way to get back to the other side of that lake to hear me preach some more, I would have been pretty happy. I'd be like, you guys are fantastic. Thank you all for coming. Let's talk about Jesus some more. But that wasn't Jesus' response. Look in your Bibles, turn back just a bit to verse 26. I'll start with verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Can you imagine that? 
They come all the way over to the other side, and he says, you didn't come here for me. You came here to get some more to eat. It's pretty harsh. But he's making a point to them. He's making a point to them that you came for something that perishes. You, you came for something that can't sustain you for eternity, when instead you should have come for something, the only thing that will sustain you for eternity, who is Christ himself. So then in this passage, over and over and over again, John records for us what Jesus says about himself, that he is the bread of life. He showed that in the miracle whenever he was feeding the 5,000, as he prayed to God and thanked God for the bread, because he says the bread of heaven comes down from heaven. The Father sends him down from heaven. So in the miracle, he prays and thanks God for the bread, and then he multiplies the bread. It's a picture of Christ himself who is the bread of life. So he goes on to tell them that over and over and over again. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me. Excuse me, I'm reading in verse five, chapter 5. Chapter 6, verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And gives life to the world. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, a little side note Jesus was born in what town? Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. After Jesus was born, he was placed in what? A manger. The manger is where cattle eat. Do you ever wonder why God made us where we have to eat and drink? I think about that because he could have made us where we didn't have to do that. We could have just gotten, you know, energy from the sun perhaps. I don't know. But he made us where we had to eat and we have to drink. One, because it shows our dependence upon him. We have to acknowledge complete dependence upon him for our physical survival. But two, and I think even the greater point, is it was meant to be a picture of our relationship to Christ. Even more so than we need to eat bread to be sustained. And you know, bread is like a staple uh, pretty much for, for any, uh, any culture for the most part. Most cultures, bread is a, is a staple food. I love bread. Poor Bernadette, she's just for health reasons having to cut back on bread. And it's like she can't eat anything, Right? Because bread or carbs seem to be in everything. Bread is a staple of our food. It sustains us. And Christ is telling us that even more so, he sustains us. Even more than we need to eat bread, we need to feed on him. And so he says that to his followers over and over and over again. Make sure your focus is on the right type of bread. The bread that will cause you to last forever. The, the eternal bread that comes down from heaven. He says it again. Not only in 35, but also in 41. So the Jews, or actually, excuse me, the Jews say it. They acknowledge what he said about himself. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. In 48, he says, again, I am the bread of life. In 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. In 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Hang on, Jesus. Now you're moving into being offensive. Right? 
The point of this passage I want us all to know is that Jesus is the bread of life. We must have him to survive. We must have him in order to be able to enter into eternity. And not to use him, but to consume him. And that's what he's going to speak about next as he moves into what I would recognize as him just being offensive. So the first point I have is that Jesus is the bread of life. The second point I've got is that Jesus is offensive. He starts that back in verse 26. I don't know if any of you have ever been offended by Christ. I have. What I hope to show us at the end of this, though, is that it's a grace and a blessing to be offended by Christ. You know, too often we can make up this fake Jesus in our minds that's not the Jesus of Scripture. We start out with the Jesus of Scripture, but then as we go through life, maybe we're not recognizing everything that he's telling us, or we're not recognizing actually his true character that's given to us in Scripture. And so then as we go through life, we start to make up this Jesus in our own mind, and we don't even recognize we're doing it, but it shows its face in the things that we do. All of a sudden, if I can, if I can you know, I can say these things because my Jesus is okay with that. I can live this way because my Jesus is okay with that. And I wouldn't even say that we do it on purpose, but it can sneak in where we have this false Jesus in our head, this idol, if you will. So part of my hope this morning is to dig in and look at the character of Christ. And the character of Christ is offensive at times. He's no sissy. He's bold. Bold as a lion. And we see that over and over and over again. Again, look here with me at verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's offensive. Couldn't he just said thank you? Thanks for showing up. I was going to say, what if, what if I told you that this morning? <laughs> One, thank you for being here. I would. But what if I said, hey, you aren't here for, for Christ. You're just here for the coffee. That hurts, doesn't it? And that's what they were feeling. Like, Jesus is offensive. It challenges us for our good. Look at verse 35. Again, Jesus offends them. He says, I am the bread of life. How do we know that's offensive? Because in verse 41, John tells us, he says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. How dare he? Isn't this Joseph's son? Like the carpenter's son? He's from Nazareth. And he's saying he's the bread that comes down from heaven? That's pretty bold. It's offensive. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. See, the beautiful thing about Christ is he is a master surgeon. If he comes in to do surgery on us, he doesn't, he doesn't mess up any other organs that don't need to be dealt with. In this case, I'm saying that figuratively. 
Jesus comes in and knows how to put his finger exactly on the spot that needs to be healed. For them, it was their lack of belief. Lack of belief in who he really is. We're going to see that as we go through the end of this passage. And right up front, he tells them that. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you don't believe. That's offensive. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Pastor Mitch was talking about this Friday morning. He remembers the first time that, that he got a grasp on election, on the predestination of, of God. And I likewise remember when I first wrestled with that. The fact that God chooses those whom he will save. And it's throughout Scripture. That can be offensive, especially to our ego. When we want to believe we have free will. We can do whatever we want. Well, free will existed, I would say, in the Garden of Eden. But ever since after sin, all of our wills are bent towards sin. So the reality is the only thing that can free us to want to believe back in God is God. And here Jesus tells them, no one can even come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's offensive. Verse 51, I'm the living bread, again he tells them, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is going into some crazy territory. They're sitting there thinking, like, what is he talking about eating his flesh? Because, verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And in case they might have thought they misheard him, he goes the extra mile to make sure they understand him. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Folks, I don't know about you, but that's offensive. That's, that's strange. If somebody comes up to you and they're teaching you something and they say, but in order to really receive me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And in case you didn't understand what I was saying, I'm saying that my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink and you really have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Because that's what he's saying. That's offensive. We have to understand what he's meaning by that. We have to understand the depth of what he's speaking about. And in order to do that, when you get offended by Christ, the only way that you can just believe still what he's telling you is through faith. Over and over and over again, he's telling these people, you don't believe. You didn't come for me. You came for bread. You don't believe. Again, I'm going to tell you, you don't believe. Let me prove it to you. In order to truly be saved, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What are you going to do with that? they grumble. As a matter of fact, they leave. 
I was thinking, this has got to be, you know, Peter's sermon in, in the book of Acts, the beginning, that, that sermon that brought in over 3,000 believers is one of, you know, one of the biggest, uh, greatest sermons of all time in order to, to, we see the most people get saved all at once in that moment. This sermon here that Jesus gave has got to be one of the most anti-seeker-sensitive sermons we ever have heard. They all left. What he was explaining to them was something that they couldn't grasp at that time. And that's when it takes faith. When you're going through things that you don't understand, in order to continue to believe in God and that he is good and that he cares about you and loves your soul, so much so that he sent his only son down to this earth to die for you and for your sins and then rose him from the dead and then call you to himself. The only way you can continue to believe that or continue to stay in that or continue to hold fast to that is through faith. We don't always understand the things of God. We don't always understand the things and the trials that we go through. We don't always understand the things he calls us to. They're hard. But we stay in it through faith. Jesus, when he's talking about being the flesh, or that his flesh will be given up for them, is of course talking about his body that's going to be on the cross. Now, this passage has been misunderstood mishandled, misused, mistaken, misunderstood, I want to assure you he's not saying that we are saved by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This is not, he's not talking about or teaching transubstantiation. That's what the Catholic Church teaches with the Eucharist. They would say that, that, that the bread truly turns into the body, the, the wine truly turns into his blood, and you, you take it for salvific purposes. It's called a sacrament because it's part of the things that you do in order to continue to receive the grace of God. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I, I assure you, this is a metaphor. He's speaking figuratively. But he's pushing it so hard so as to, to push the people to the point of, I don't understand what you're saying, but I still believe you. That was Peter's response. Jesus says in verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Did I offend you? What are you going to do? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Then what would you say? Would you be offended or would you bow your knee? Would you bow your face to the ground? Verse 64, excuse me, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's giving them the clue right there. I don't know if you recognize it, but God speaks in riddles throughout Scripture. The Word of God is not set up so that anybody can just pick it up and just through mere logic, read it, understand it, and be saved. It has to be unlocked through the power of the Holy Spirit. More importantly, our heart has to be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is always speaking in riddles and in parables. Matter of fact, he said that he was going to continue to speak in parables. After he gave the parable of the sower, he said he was going to continue to speak in parables so that they would, they would see it but not, not grasp it. They would hear it but not understand it. And here he's pushing, but he gives them a clue. He said, I'm speaking spiritually. And then what happens? They still don't get it. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Think about this sight. Jesus is in a synagogue at Capernaum. He tells them already, you, you didn't come from me. You, you just came to eat the fishes and the loaves. Matter of fact, I am the true bread, and in order to really be saved, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They show their true colors. They show what Jesus has been saying all along, and they don't really believe in him. John Piper put it like this, that they were, they were not there for Jesus. They were there to use Jesus. How many, how many of us fall into that? Are we, are we really here this morning for Jesus? Because of Jesus? Because of what he did in our lives? Or do we just try to, to use Jesus? You know, I was listening to a pastor this past week online, and he was talking about how he had just come back from India, and he was uh, speaking to some new believers there and was talking to them about, he said, he said, let me ask you, he said, in America we have this problem with, with false converts, people who claim to believe in Christ but don't really believe in Christ. And he said this person from India was confused. And so the pastor asked him, he said, do y'all have, have a problem with false converts in India? And he didn't have a category for it. He's like, why would anybody do that? He said, here, when you turn to Christ, you lose everything. You lose your family, your job, your livelihood. Why would anybody fake that? And I say that because I'm talking to us in America. It's almost the opposite here, almost, especially in the Bible Belt, where you can be looked at it as an outcast if you don't believe in Jesus or don't claim that you believe in Jesus. And because of that, it's real easy to nod your head in agreement and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but not to really have it here in your heart. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about Christ offending us is that he pulls that out. He draws that out. And listen, this ain't the only place that Christ is offending folks. Remember what he called the Pharisees? You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. Remember what he called Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Remember what he said to the Syrophoenician woman? You're a dog. How's that? What he said to his disciples when they couldn't deliver that one, that young boy from the demon? He said, what a twisted generation. Faithless. 
What did he say whenever his mom and his family, his brothers showed up and he was teaching a crowd and they said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. He said, who's my mother and who's my brothers? It's those who do the will of my father that are my mother and my brothers. He's the one who said, in order to follow me, you have to hate your mother and hate your father and hate your wife and your children relative to your love to me. Man, that's offensive. He said, you have to love your enemies and pray for them. He said, not to call anybody a fool. Boy, I have a hard time with that one. And I'm the fool the whole time. Jesus tells us things that offend us, but he does it for a purpose. And that, uh, that, whenever he offends us, it's going to lead us one or two ways, either away from him or towards him. But praise God, it won't leave us on the fence. Remember what Jesus said uh, in, in Revelation? Pastor Mitch went over this uh, to the church. I think it was Laodicea where he says, I'm gonna, um, he said, be either hot or cold, not lukewarm, lest I spit you out of my mouth. Jesus' offense, his, his, his boldness in offending us gets us off the fence. It makes us either go one way or the other, but praise God it doesn't leave us in the middle. Peter's response leads into my third point. So number one is Jesus is the bread of life. Two, Jesus is offensive. And three, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Man, I love this. I, this passage here really gets to me because so often we read about Christ, and again, the lesson in here is what Jesus is saying, that he is the bread of life. But the sub-lesson here is how he says it and how he presents it, and you get a peek into his character. A lot of times I'm telling my family when we're doing Bible study and we're reading about his miracles, I said, if nothing else, let that just remind you of who he is and how he operates and what his character is. It's how you get to know Christ. It's how you get to know his personality. It's how you get to know his, his glory and his holiness is by studying not only what he says but how he says it and why he says it. And here we get a beautiful, powerful, offensive picture of what he's saying. Again, thank you all for coming, but unless for you to be saved, you've got to eat my blood, eat my flesh and drink my blood. We can't handle that. We're out. Boom. It empties the synagogue. And instead of saying, hold up, let me tell you what I really meant. What I was really saying was, he lets them go. The rich young ruler gets offended and leaves. Instead of Jesus saying, hold up, what I was really saying was, he lets him go. And instead he says, it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he continues, with God, all things are possible. That's the rest of the story. And instead of Jesus turning to his apostles and saying, hey guys, hang out here, just wait and I'll explain it all to you. Don't go anywhere yet because I need you. I'll explain it all to you. He doesn't. He offers the same challenge to them. And he turns to them and says, what are you going to go to? Can you not handle what I'm telling you? And what does that do? It presses on their faith. It presses on their faith, and I love Peter's response. I love it. I just try to picture it in my head. And Peter's got to be there like saying, 
Lord, I, that's some weird stuff. I'm, I, this is obviously not in Scripture. I'm just thinking through this, right? I don't completely understand it. But you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. And we have believed that you are the Holy One of God. Faith. Faith. And what squeezed that out? But Jesus' boldness in offending them. Notice that Jesus doesn't offend us with lies. Jesus offends us with the truth. So when we become offended by anything that Jesus says, anything that God says in Scripture, who's the one that's in the wrong? <laughs> right? It's us. We've got to check our own hearts. Peter says here, Lord, to whom shall we go? This is verse 68. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, of course, he says, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Peter is saying, You're the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God is the one who is set apart for God, the anointed one. Also, would be the Messiah, the Christ. The angel at the beginning of Luke says that, that the one who is to be born, he is Christ the Lord. Lord is master, he's our king. When Jesus says jump, we should say how high and how often. I'll keep going. You just tell me what to do. But so often, if you're like me, I want to find an excuse. Well, he didn't really mean that. Or he doesn't mean it in this situation. And I want to pull back because it's hard to do the things Jesus tells us to do. But if he's our Lord, we want to submit to do whatever he tells us to do. Remember another one of the offensive things Jesus says is, if you want to follow me, he says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It means die to yourself daily and follow me. That means don't live for Sonny. Live for Jesus. And there are times in my life when I, when I get to a deep moment of that. Lord Jesus, take me, do whatever you will with me. Even if you kill me tomorrow, I'm yours. But guess what I have to do again the next day? Do it again and again and again. Daily surrendering to Christ and everything in our lives in order to follow him and obey him because it's through us that others will find out about Christ. We're his ambassadors here on earth. We are to be daily conformed into his image. And the only way that we can do that is if we, if we submit to him not only as our Savior but also as our Lord, as our Master, as our King. You know, in the news, of course, King Charles got, uh, went through the whole inauguration yesterday. Pretty massive deal, all the pomp and circumstance. And I, I watched that in the reverence and the respect that was shown to him as king. We don't, or I don't, have really a concept for that in my, my life, right, of, of having to bow down to a physical person like that here on the earth. But well, we all have the perfect concept of that in Christ. I want us to consider that as we come before him daily in prayer, in reading our scripture, in interacting with others, 
as we come in here every week to worship him. See, Jesus is telling us as Lord that we don't come to him on our terms. We come to him on his terms. And guess what? He has something to say about every part of our life. He has something to say about the words that we speak. Ephesians 4. We shouldn't say vulgar things, but we should say things that build people up. He has something to say about what we watch or look at. We shouldn't lust in our hearts. He has something to say about how we present ourselves to others. That our interaction with others and everything that from uh, the way that we act towards them, things we say with them, should be to build them up. And I don't know about you, but I need a daily reminder of that. A daily reminder that he is my Lord. And so Jesus offends us. But by his grace, it is a blessing to those who are his. There are some that might struggle with their faith at times, wondering, man, I, I, I think I'm saved. I, I, I love Jesus. I live for him, but I think I'm saved. But they're just challenged with that. Use this as a beautiful litmus test that God gives you and say, how do you respond whenever he offends you in Scripture? Do you respond with, well, Jesus, I'll do a lot of things, but not that. Or do you respond with, even though I don't understand it truly or totally, I believe you and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Listen, he didn't have to die for us. He doesn't need us, but he loves us. He loves us so much that he came and did exactly that. He took upon your and my sins upon himself, paid that penalty before God, paid for the wrath that we deserve, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, now calls us to follow him daily. I hope that as we dig, dig into this passage or dug into this passage, that this helps each of us, again, to grow in Christ, grow in our relationship with him, grow in our maturity of understanding who he is. I sure need it. Let it drive us toward Christ in submission. Let our submission to him encourage us in our faith. And let our faith encourage others in their faith. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much again for your word. Thank you for the things that we don't understand. They press us into faith. Thank you for not making it about works. If it were up to works, we all would surely fail, even though our flesh wants to be bent toward that. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing all the work for us. Thank you for making it all about faith in you, true faith in you. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here this morning that thinks they believe but really don't, please make it clear to their hearts. For all those here this morning that truly believe, please continue to encourage us in that. Please continue to offend us as often as you need to conform us into your image daily. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.